Well, after many weeks of me annoying my coworker slash supervisor Charles with spiritual conversations, he had had enough. This went on for weeks and weeks. I'm talking like over two months of pretty much every single time he and I worked together, I was trying to, to do a little Jesus juke and, and, and slip Jesus into the conversation. And he, it was driving him crazy. And so one day I was going into this really long, uh, uh, long-winded theological oration, probably for like 30 minutes. I was just talking, 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 talking. If you know me, you're like, wow, that's shocking. Uh, and he's just looking at me like I'm speaking Swahili. You know, he's like glossy-eyed. He's like, dude, I do not care. And finally, I'm in the middle of a sentence, and he goes, dude, you have got to stop. You're driving me insane. I do not care about this. Be quiet. You take this stuff way too seriously. Now, I will have to admit that um, I would like to say that my intention of my heart was completely pure and I, in, in wanting to see this sinner come to faith in Christ and be made a saint. But to be honest with you, the little young punk I was at that time mostly just wanted to show how smart I was and how wrong he was. And that's wrong. So what he said, so I just stopped in my tracks and what he said next to me is a phrase that you may have heard. It could even be a phrase that you may have said or think right now. And he goes, have you ever heard the phrase, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? That's you all the time. Get to work. Now, I did a good job of working at that, at that place. You know, I wasn't a, a bad employee, but in his mind, all I did was yip yap about things that don't really matter. I was so heavenly minded. And in his mind, that was a waste of time. He said that all Christians are just hypocrites and all they do is just talk, 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 talk about these things, but they don't actually do anything good in the world. And I, I wonder if deep down some of us would actually agree with Charles, that there is a sense in which we can be so heavenly minded that we actually hinder our ability to do God's will and work in the world, to do real good. But what we'll see in today's passage is that actually heavenly mindedness brings about the most good. Look with me in verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ. So I want us to remember what Paul is doing here. He's combating against this false heresy that the Colossians don't have enough in Jesus, that Jesus isn't sufficient for them, that they need more extra stuff to do and, and, and to pray to and all these different things. He's fighting the lie that they need more than Jesus by having these spiritual experiences, visions making sure they obey certain parts of Jewish purification laws, celebrating certain festivals and rites and worshiping angels in order to level up and progress in their spiritual life. And he's saying, hey, that way's dead. Don't bother with that. That's, that's earthly, that's elemental, that's, that's nonsense, it's dead, it's over. And he reminds them what they have in Christ. It's all about Jesus, that they have been raised with him. So what does he mean by that? What, is he, what, what would they be thinking when they heard, so you've been raised with Christ? He means that just as Jesus has risen from the grave, so too they are risen from the grave. They are co-resurrected with Christ. But they're looking around going, I didn't die. 
Nobody else there that's standing right here is, is dead. So what are you talking about, Paul? Well, he's talking about a spiritual resurrection. He's talking about a spiritual reality. Their souls being purified by the life and death of Jesus through his sin-atoning work on the cross are raised with Christ to new life in the spirit, a new spiritual life. They have new life in and through Jesus by faith in Jesus. And, and the language here is so powerful because even though Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, he's not questioning whether or not this raising is a matter of fact. It's, it's, not, it's not a question. It's, it's not as if this, it, it might've happened. It may not have happened. Like, well, if it happened, no, he's using rhetoric to prove a point. He's assuming a fact. It's almost like he's being kind of sarcastic. It's like saying this. It's like saying, if fire's hot, which it is, then use it to heat yourself, right? Use it to warm, warm yourself. Use it to cook. There's no question about, about whether or not fire's hot. It's hot. In the same way, there's not a question whether or not believers in Christ are co-resurrected with Christ by faith in him. It's, it's a settled reality. This may be better translated as since you've been raised with Christ or because you've been raised with Christ. This raising is a spiritual reality as real as the gravity that's pressing down on you, keeping you affixed to the chair that you're in right now. It's real. So, so church, I, I want you to be encouraged here because I know that some of you, you read the words, you, when you see if in the, in the scriptures, you go, well, it, might, it, it may not be true. It may be true for other people, but it's, it may not be true for me. No, no, if you, are in, if you have trusted Christ to save you, this is true of you. You have been, resur- your soul, your spirit is resurrected with Christ and you have new life. You have new life in him. His sin atoning work on the cross to save you from your sins has given you, and your trust and faith in him has given you new spiritual life. You are new. And so Paul's saying, y'all have a new spiritual life in Jesus. Why do you need all this other stuff? You don't. Those are unspiritual. Those are dead. That's your former life. And he wants them to know and experience the newness of the new life. So how does that work? Well, he continues, seek the things that are above. Seek, earnestly strive for, give energy to. There's effort here. And what are they to strive for? The things that are above. That would be heavenly things. Not these things that are on the ground, but heavenly things. And I think it's interesting that Paul tells them to seek heavenly things. Because the list that he gives them of things that they were putting their their, their hope and trust in before would be things that they would probably say are heavenly things. They may have been thinking, we've been doing that. We're worshiping angels. Those are heavenly beings. We're, we're seeking heavenly visions and heavenly experiences. We're practicing asceticism, abusing our bodies to fight against the flesh. That's like a super heavenly thing to do, right? And what he says is no, that's not seeking the things that are above because he continues where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, where Christ is. That the earthly spiritual practices that the Colossians were engaging in weren't about Jesus, it was about them, their experience, their progress in spiritual things. So what we see is that anything 
that seems spiritual or heavenly, but doesn't lead us to Jesus is ultimately hellish. Y'all see that? So we have new life in the resurrection of Jesus and we're to strive for the heavenly things, which is Jesus. And, it, and, every, and all of it is in Jesus. Notice the way Paul says this. He says, where Christ is. He doesn't say where Christ was. He says, is, present tense, right now, today, in this moment at, what time is it? 10.39 a.m. Christ is. He's alive. And he's a real person. Jesus, the God-man, is a real man. Bone, muscles, organs, veins, skin, hair, eyes. God the Son clothed himself in humanity and became a man just like the person sitting next to you, just like you, but yet also wholly different because he's God, right? The supreme ruler of all things under whose feet all things bow. And this God-man in his humanity died. Breath left his lungs, blood came out of him. He was wrapped up and put into a tomb. He was dead. And then he was raised from the grave and he ascended above to heaven, back to the Father in his body and he's alive today, right now, bodily. He's in a place in heaven, not a spirit. Spirit can be anywhere, but Jesus is in a place in his body. And, and, and where is he? And why does it matter? Why does it matter? because it shows that he is personal. He's a person and he's personal. He's real, just as real as anyone else in this room. He really did die for your sins. He really did rise from the dead. And he is above in heaven, where? Seated at the right hand of God. He's seated. Why does that matter? Why does Paul want us to know that? It shows that his sin-slaying and death-destroying work of living a perfectly righteous life and dying uh, in our place on the cross is over. He's done. He's done it. It's, it's something that is, that is finished. And he's at the right hand of God, which means the place of supreme honor. There is no greater honor. To be seated at the right hand of God isn't to be subservient to God, it's to be co-equal with him, to co-reign with him, equal status, equal rule, equal authority. And he sits at the right hand of God as our advocate and great high priest interceding for us, saying of all of us that are in him, mine. So we seek where Christ is, which means we seek Christ. It's all about him. He's the point and purpose of the heavenly realm. So anything you do that seems spiritual, if it doesn't lead you to Christ, it is ultimately death. It's ultimately unspiritual. And so because we're spiritually resurrected with Christ to new life, a heavenly life, we are free to seek him. So how do we do this? What does what, what, what seeking Christ look like? He's given us permission to do it and Paul calls us to do it. So how do we do it? By, verse two, setting our minds on him. He says, verse two, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so this is Paul's extremely practical point of application. If you want to experience this life in Christ, this, this resurrected life, the new life you have in Christ, you seek him. And the way you seek him is you set your mind on him. It's a positive command, something that, that you should do. But he also gives a negative command, what you shouldn't do. 
not on things that are on earth. And so we see this, this collision of heavenly things versus earthly things, right? Jesus versus the world. So let's figure out what Paul means by setting our minds. It means to fix your mind upon, to grab onto it and not let it go, to give great mental energy toward that thing. And the thing that he tells the church to give great mental energy toward is Christ, not things that are on earth. So what does he specifically mean about earthly things? We've kind of already talked about it, but back in verse 20 of chapter two, he talks about how the church has, quote, died to the elemental spirits of the world. These vain religious practices that these false teachers were telling them to do, that they must do to have a truly spiritual life. Visions, experiences, rules, and regulations. And they're vain and they're dead. Why? Because they're not about Jesus. Remember, his whole point is to show them the supremacy of Christ in all things. It's all about Jesus. So when Paul talks about earthly things, he's talking about things that do not lead us to thinking about or living for Jesus. He's saying all that stuff looks really, really good, really spiritual, really religious, but it's actually dead because it's not about the one that gives life. So to say it again, anything that we do that seems heavenly, that does not lead us to Christ is ultimately hellish. And so let's get real practical. How do we do this? How do we make sure that we set our minds on Jesus so we can live this resurrected life? And you could probably answer that question because it's been the consistent practical advice <laughs> that has been given all throughout this, this, this sermon series. In order to know Christ, in order to set your mind on Christ, you have to know his word. That's how God reveals himself. To just set your mind on Christ is to settle your mind in the word of God. We set our minds on Jesus by the word, right? Going to the word, feasting on it, studying it, reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it. We also do that by, by praying. The word even tells us to pray, right? We do that by engaging with God in prayer. You have access to God through Christ. So pray to him and gathering. So word, prayer, and worship together as a church body. Jesus exemplified the word of God, the power of the word of God in his life right after, uh, right as he's, as, after 40 days of being uh, alone in the wilderness, Satan comes to tempt him with all the things that he would want, right? He's starving, he's so hungry. Uh, he's been fasting and, 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 and Satan tempts him with food. He is the king of the cosmos and is deserving of all honor and glory. And Satan promises him a little sliver of that glory that would be a lot of glory here and now. And he says, no, 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 I'm, he rejects it with the word of God. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, uh, it is wrong to, to tempt God. He uses the word of God to fight against that temptation. And so, we, and so it's very practical. Setting your mind on, on the things uh, of, of Christ, study God's word, memorize, meditate on, on, on God's word. And we talk about meditate. I wanna be clear, we don't, we don't mean some kind of like mindless meditation where you're trying to empty yourself of something. No, you're trying to fill yourself of, of the good. It's a mulling over of the word of God, like a cow chews cud, just over and over and over again. Let it soak into you. And this is how, and this is how it, 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 it can work, is in moments when you're pinned down with guilt and shame, you set your mind on heavenly things through the word, that in Christ, your sins are forgiven. It is a reality, it's true. And you are a new creation, 
as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. You're struggling with the same sin again. You have the spirit living within you, giving you power to resist temptation and do righteousness, and you engage the word to remind you of that. You, get, you do what you do right now. You gather with the church to worship on the Lord's day. I, I, I would be uh, not shocked if this has been true of you, is you've had a week, rough, good, whatever, doesn't matter, but you've been drifting away from thinking about God, but your life being about Jesus. It's very easy. All of us do it, every single one of us. And then you get here and you, and you, and you gather with your church family, and you sing gospel songs, you pray together, you hear the word preached and you go, oh yeah, it's all about Jesus. And there's this renewed energy in you to follow him. There's this renewed energy in you to, to go after him and to tell others about him and to, and to go and do the other things where you're engaging with him. So we gather together to worship him uh, together. And, and we were reminded and we set our minds on Jesus. We pray, we just, we just, we engage with God through prayer. Have you ever thought, I know we did a series on, on prayer, but, but just how mind-blowing it is that you can at any point at any time stop and you have access to God immediately, boom, like that through Christ. And those prayers are purified by Christ and they go up to him as a pleasing aroma and he delights to answer those in the way that he sees fit. You can engage with God in those ways. These, these spiritual disciplines that we, that we talk about they are not earthly activities to help you ascend to some heavenly realm. No, they're heavenly activities to help you experience life within Christ. Your resurrected life in him is already a fixed reality. Prayer, reading his word, gathering with his people are how you experience that reality. And listen, I know that that doesn't sound exciting. <laughs> That's just normal stuff. You're not giving me something new. You, want, you just tell me to do the same old thing over and over again? Wow, what an amazing revelation. That's been the thing we've been telling, but pretty much what has been the practical application of so much of, of, of Colossians? It's get into the word, pray, gather, worship. But these basic, foundational, unspectacular means of grace that God gives us is how we experience life within Christ, empowered by his spirit. It's through these unspectacular means that our minds are set on the things above where Christ is. And, you've, and I'm sure many of you have, have experienced this. But many of us don't like that answer because it's not exciting, it's not new. And we live in a culture that loves new. It is addicted to, to new. And sometimes the culture you live in, you don't realize, like, you ever heard the, the, the phrase, like uh, there's, there's two young fish swimming along in the water and they pass an old fish and he goes, oh, hey boys, how you doing? Water's cold today, isn't it? And they're like, and then a little bit later they go, what's water? It's a weird analogy, I know, weird illustration. The, the idea is that they don't even understand that, that they're in water. They don't understand the culture that they're in. It takes the wisdom of the old fish to tell them, hey, no, you're in water, you goofball. Like sometimes we're, we're so in the culture of our culture that we don't even understand what's bad or, 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 or wrong with certain things we do, but we, we have an, a new addiction. The next thing that's gonna help us maximize our life and level up in whatever way we desire. This works it out in all kinds of ways. Like every year-ish, a new iPhone gets released and their marketing campaign is stellar. And, and you, if you, you know, get inundated with that, you believe that that is the thing that is going to revolutionize your life. You're going to be more productive. You're going to have more fun, blah, 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 blah. And so then you get it and you spend the ungodly amount of money for it and, and you get it. And then for about 30 minutes, you're like, wow, 
It's so different. But then it's like, well, the camera's just a little bit better. It's a little bit faster and the size is slightly different, which is really annoying because then you have to buy a new case. It's not anything special. It's so disappointing. Same thing it was last year. We do this with the, with, with, uh, with the promise of the, new, of the new season in sports, right? This is the year. This is, where, this is when Kentucky's finally going to dominate. And they do fine for a few games, and then they end up fifth in the conference. And you're like, well, that's disappointing. Like, I thought that was really going to be it. A new, a new, heard that. A new, uh, a, a new leadership book or some kind of self-help thing that, that comes out, a podcast episode from some new going and blowing leader that's, that's on the New York Times bestseller list. You're like, that's it. Like, that's what I need. Like, that's the productivity tool I need. That's the leadership mindset I need to have. So I'm going to grab that. And you open it up. You rip it open. You, you read it. You listen to it. And then you're like, that's kind of the same advice that it keeps going. Didn't really help me all that much. We long for a new home organizational hack. Something's going to bring us peace and, and bring our life better. A new insight to lead our business better. A new parenting tip. A new drug that's going to somehow make our anxiety disappear. A new experience with God. And all these things ultimately fall flat because they're not ultimately about Jesus. They're about us, and that's earthly. But I, I don't wanna just rag on the whole new thing because I do think in some degree our, our, our desire for new is, is not bad. In fact, there, there is a sense in which it's really good, it's just misdirected, right? I think in part, our desire for new is rooted in this reality that we live in the already but not yet timeline between Christ's first coming and his second coming. We've been spiritually connected to Jesus, resurrected with Jesus, but we're not physically present with him yet. There's a quote unquote incompleteness there. It's not, it's not, it's not completely consummated yet. So we long for the new creation, for wrong to be made right, to have a new glorified body unstained from disease, decay, and death to be free from sin, to be home with our God in the new world. But we're not there yet, and so what do we do? Well, we do what Paul tells us. We set our minds on the things above, on Christ. We do that by feasting on his word, praying to him, gathering to worship him. Because here's the reality. Some story is gonna dominate your life. There's some word that's gonna dominate your life. As we seek the Lord through his word, prayer and worship, his story becomes dominant. And so what story dominates your life? Is it the one of, of whatever the current thing is? Is it whatever your social media feed tells you that's important? Is it whatever your kids demand right now in front of you? Is it whatever your boss wants? Is it whatever you deeply long for? There's one story that must dominate all other stories, and that's the story of Jesus. So there's, there's just some ways that this uh, works out um, that, because there, there's so many ways in which we do not set our minds on Jesus. This is not a holistic list. It's just kind of a, a few examples, but uh, it's election season. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna talk about that. Uh, everybody's favorite topic. We're constantly inundated with political ads. Like my phone has blown up constantly like telling me so-and-so to vote for whatever. And I, I don't even know, that shouldn't even be illegal. Or that shouldn't even be legal. Like it's, it, it drives me crazy. Block, block, block over and over again. But, but 
for some of us, we, we really engage with that. Like that is like our hope. And so we fill our minds with polling data and with whatever the, the, the political talking head of our preferred uh, you know, candidate or, 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 or political party is talking about and talking about all the ills and evils of the world. Instead of doing that and getting all freaked out and anxious and angry, open the word of God and be infused with the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And know that in the end, Jesus wins. Gather to worship Christ with your church body and realize that this right here is the only politic, it's the only institution, it's the only people they're gonna last forever. Now listen, there are things in the world that are scary, like that we, that, that we fear, that's real. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't have those concerns, have those fears, or even, even engage in those things. It's a matter of what word dominates your life. So have your fears, be concerned about what kind of world uh, our kids are growing up in or your grandkids are growing up in. But then pray fervently to the one who laughs at the raging nations and will make all things right in the end. With sports, every, I, I made a joke just the other day that, that I love, like I don't know much about sports. Like I, I know, how, they, I know how, how to play them. I mean, I don't, I don't get into like, poll, like, like stats and, all, and records and all that kind of stuff. Like it's very often Jeremy's talking about somebody and then he's like, you don't know who that is? I'm like, yeah, I have not a clue. And it's like some really famous athlete that everybody in this room would know. Um, or like uh, some folks are, like Chad Bischoff is just waxing on and on debating uh, Greg Wilburn about, about something and then they're just going back and forth and I just kind of stand back and listen and every now and then just shoot in a little like controversial hot take that I have no idea what I'm actually talking about, but it just makes them more frustrated, which that's probably not good. I probably shouldn't do that, but it's funny. And so we, 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 we just, we put our minds over to, to these things, all these records, like, like recruiting prospects of like some freshman out in the middle of nowhere who like Kentucky's really got to start recruiting him now because he's going to be the next big thing and end up being the one that saves the whole thing. And I want to be clear, like, like I'm not ragging on these things as if they're bad, okay? Like I need to be clear about that. These are, it's just what is dominating your mind. And um, we talk about it a lot, but, but social media, like the longer, the more I learn about the effects of social media, the more I'm like, everybody needs to get off today, like right now, like just delete it, get rid of it. But, but, but what we do is we have this inane scrolling through an endless cesspool of stuff that we are not, that we don't really care about and that, we will not remember 15 seconds after we've seen it. <laughs> so instead of that, take three minutes and just read a psalm and pray. Or take that phone that, you are, that, 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 that has you held in its clutches and instead take, take ownership over it and call or text somebody and ask how you can pray for them and then do it. So, set your, so setting your mind on the things above means allowing the above things to color what's below. Setting your mind on Christ doesn't mean that that's all you ever do all the time. What it means is at least you let that word dominate everything else and it colors it. It changes how you engage with and on social media. Rather than an idol that you crave, it's a tool for gospel proclamation. It transforms how you see the current political landscape in light of God's big story. Jesus wins. It shows you how to use Saturday's game not as, as an altar to the team, but a platform to invite your neighbor to in hopes that you can build a relationship and engage them with the gospel. 
So fixing your mind on Christ through his word, prayer, and being with his people changes how you see everything. It's all Jesus's, he's supreme, and you're his, and he's yours. I've been so convicted. This is the longest section, by the way. Just need you to know that. Amen. <laughs> I've been so con- convicted by, that, by, by this this week because uh, I'm constantly filling myself up with stuff. Like I'm talking like I go from the kitchen to, to, to the restroom and that walk is like five, like five seconds and I'm pulling out my phone to read some kind of article that I was reading earlier in that day. And it's constant. Like it's, it's almost like anytime I'm, I'm going from one thing to the next, I'm, I'm picking it up and looking at it or I, my mind is just a frenetic mess. And, and God has convicted me so, intent, so, so intensely this week how I set my mind on earthly things. And so uh, I've been trying to change that. And so instead of, as I'm walking down the hall or driving down the road, instead of pulling out the phone and engaging in something that I really doesn't matter all that much, I'm listening to the word through an app. Or I just take some time to pray. Well, at one point, I, was, I, I reached for my phone, immediately got, got convicted about it, still pulled it out, but went, I'm gonna text somebody and tell them that I'm praying for them that I know is struggling right now. That's how the word of God works I, if, you, if you wanna know how this works, this is how it works. And you know what's happened? You know what the result has been? My joy has been maximized in Christ. I have, I, I, I have profoundly experienced his love and grace this week. The spirit has worked through his word to convict me in my frustration, give me strength to rage against sin, to delight in Christ all the more, and to give me patience when I feel impatience and irritability rising up. And so when you are set on Christ, you understand what he's done for you and it changes you. Look at me in verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul says, you've died. How is that possible? What's he talking about? Because he's talking to a living people right now, right? The the, the Colossians were not a bunch of dead people. They were alive. And so he's talking about, again, this idea of being united with Christ, this spiritual reality that affects uh, the here and now. Your old life is what he's talking about. Your old life is dead. Your old ways are dead. Your old desires are dead. You can't go back to dead things and find life. So if you're gonna keep doing the things that don't lead to Jesus, you're not living the true story of the gospel because you're not dead. If you're in Christ, you're alive. His In the gospel, when you trust Christ to save you from your sins, here's what happens, is that his story becomes your story. All your failings, all your sins, all your flaws, all your mistakes, all of it is crucified and buried with Christ. And all of his righteousness, every single time he perfectly obeyed the Father, is credited to you. That's what happens. So when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see all your mistakes and all your flaws. He doesn't see this this painted, uh, black, gross, disgusting creature. He sees his perfect son, Jesus. And what the way Paul says this is that your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden. It's, It's you are clothed in Christ. His righteousness is your righteousness You're hidden with Christ in God, meaning you're kept laid up with God in heaven. You're tucked away safe. This is a true fact, regardless of your experience, if you're in Christ. So you remind yourself of it and you live it daily. Dan, a long time ago, Dan Robertson preached and he said something so simple, but so profound. He said, when you wake up, make your first thought 
the gospel. God loves me. Christ has died for my sin. I'm gonna live in that story today. And he called it a gospel reset. And it's so simple, but it's so helpful. Because if, 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 if I've died and been resurrected spiritually, that then affects the way that I live, right? So then why do I still struggle with the same old stuff? <laughs> why am I still so earthly? Well, it's because you live in the already, but not yet. You still live in this polluted air of a fallen world. The shadows of your former life are still around, okay? It does not mean that you're chained to those things, but there are effects that your former life has on you on the here and now. In your former life, you set your hope on earthly things. And because of that, you set up certain patterns and rhythms in your life that bowed to those things that you wanted. Self-glory, pleasure, and so setting your mind on heavenly things is to replace those old dead patterns with new ones, right? Those old dead rhythms with new ones. Shed the old, embrace the new. It's already yours. And so walking with Jesus and setting your mind on Jesus is to walk and set your mind on what you already are and become what you already are in Christ. Because here's the deal. You're still going to be tempted to sin. You're still going to struggle. You're still going to suffer, <laughs> but you contend with these things and experience life in Christ by setting your mind on the things above. So set new rhythms, new patterns in your life that help you set your mind on Christ, his worth, his goodness, his righteousness, his perfection, his expectations, his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, and his power. Get up 15 minutes earlier. Instead of watching that show at night with your spouse, both of you crack open the word and read it together, pray together. Set a time to pray with your, with your family. Like set it on your phone. Alarm goes off at 7 p.m. Pray with family. Pray for your kids. Pray for your spouse. Pray with your, with, with, with your spouse. Because those shadows of your former life may remain, but that shadow doesn't control you, okay? That polluted air we walk in today can be purified by the pure, fresh air of the gospel. Because you have the power in Christ through his spirit to live in Christ who is your life by setting your mind on the things of Christ. Verse four, because when Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says that Christ is the, is the Colossian church's life. So what does he mean? Well, there's some verses that may help us here. John 14, 19, Jesus says to his disciples, because I live you also will live. Our life is connected to Jesus. Colossians 2.13, which is what we read just a few weeks ago, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. John 15.5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, rests in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That's true spirituality. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in Christ, his faithfulness is your faithfulness. You set your mind on him, he helps you walk in that faithfulness. He is the source of your good works. His life is your life. So in the same way we died to our fleshly desires in his death, we live to godly desires in his life. This happens over time by engaging with the word, by praying, by gathering with the church. His passion becomes our passion. His desire becomes our desire. His wants become our wants. His ambition becomes our ambition. And his mission becomes our mission. We live in him, to him, and for him. And so by his spirit, we become like him. 
which is what he says we already are, redeemed, righteous, and raised. The righteousness we have spiritually manifests itself actually in this life by setting our minds on the things of God. We've been adopted into his family as sons and daughters of God, and we learn how to live in the Son, through the Son, by his word, to become like the Son. And it's all Christ. Anything good we do, any righteous thing that happens in us is all Jesus working in you. Any righteous thought you have is Christ working through the word to renew your mind. This is why we set our mind on heavenly things so that the heavenly things here, so that we see and experience the heavenly things here and now. The kingdom come and will be done in our life as it is in heaven. So Christ is our righteousness. He's our purpose. He's our goal. And he's our life. And he's coming back. The text says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is coming back to finish the work. One day, you are going to either, if he comes back before you die physically, you're going to see the sky rip open. And you're going to see Jesus come back. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen in that moment, but what I do know is that we will be changed forever. If you die before then, you will rise up out of the ground with a glorified body. You will be completely different. And I cannot wait to see that. I can't wait to feel that glory. A life without sin. A life where every intention of my heart and every flickering thought that passes through my, my mind, every motive of what I do is perfectly aligned with the will of God for his glory. And everybody else has the same. Exact same righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And we'll gather together and everything will be about Jesus all the time and he will be there. And we'll see him face to face. And he will not look away in shame, but welcome us with open arms. Don't you long for that day? Don't you want that now? Well, you can experience it in a sense by setting your mind on the things above, the heavenly things. Strive after setting your mind on Christ and see what God will do in your life. The conclusion is real simple and real short. Church, if, if let's be so heavenly minded that we do the most earthly good and that we are the most earthly good.